Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. Well, we record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't a podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts well. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, 
Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Hey, Corey, how are you doing? I am great. How are you doing? I'm good, but I'm late. I'm sorry about that. I, uh, you know, I really feel bad because we have such a wonderful guest with us today, and I showed up 10 minutes late. I I know, but at your age, that mid-morning nap's important. (laughs) (laughs) Shrell, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, thanks for for having me. I was just going to say you showed up fashionably late. Probably the most prepared of us, right? Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, anyone wondering, Trill Kreitzer from Go Hunt is on the on the other line with us, and he's going to tell us everything we need to know about elk hunting, specifically elk hunting in Utah. Right? You're you're going to tell us that we should all buy an over the counter tag and come there and inundate your state as elk hunters. Yeah, why not? I mean, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we don't need any recruitment, right? It's back into the population for, <laughs> for big bulls. Yeah. But yeah. How many people you guys got in Utah these days? Uh, more all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It, it seems like they can't build fast enough, you know, everywhere, everywhere around me, my whole entire neighborhood. When I moved here to, to Cedar city, it's been what, 12 years ago. Um, I think there were probably four or five houses on my street and now there's only one empty lot, which is the one right next to me. I don't know what that says about me, but it's the, uh, the only empty lot <laughs> in the neighborhood. Uh, well, you need to join Corey up in Idaho then. No, we're doing just fine. <laughs> I'm okay if Trail joins us, but we don't need we don't need more uh, of a migration. No, Corey, you you're the fastest growing of all Western states in Idaho. I know. I mean, I heard, isn't that a trophy that you want to brag about? No, I heard Boise was the fastest growing city. Also, Boise is the most overpriced market in the nation. So really? that should that should be enough to deter most people. Huh. I, I would say whoever did that survey must have somehow flown over Bozeman and didn't look at the data here. But <laughs> oh well. But you know, they, they need to come up with a movie series not titled Yellowstone, but titled, I don't know, uh what, what, what would be a geographic uh, term to get everybody to come to Southern Utah Trail? What, what, what would they call it? Zion. There we go. Yeah, we, we, we we've got the, yeah we've got Zion. I it's funny you mentioned that. I saw somebody's social media post the other day. I had some friends that had, you know they were from California that had come out to see Zion, and he posted some pictures on Instagram. And I'm not sure at this point why you'd want to go. I mean, it looked like. It looked like Black Friday at a shopping mall. I mean, there were people absolutely everywhere. Uh, well, we're not painting a very pretty picture for these three states. And you know what the audience is going to say? The audiences think we're we're specifically saying this to keep everybody away. Totally. 
<laughs> and they might not yep. be wrong, but yeah. <laughs> Idaho guys are the worst. So I've never talked to an Idaho person or done a live event when the Idaho person said anything other than nothing to see here, move along, move along, nothing to see here. Wolves ate them all, but you know, whatever. You guys in Idaho really do, you guys go above and beyond the call of duty, Corey, to try deter people. Well, I mean, there's just, there's so many positive aspects to other areas that it's really easy to divert people there. When you, when you realize that Bozeman has more 400 inch bulls right out of town <laughs> than any other city anywhere, I mean, it's pretty easy to tell people, hey, if you want quality elk hunting, go to Bozeman. If you want, you know, good winters, go to Nevada. Central Nevada is beautiful in the winter. So there's just a lot of positive aspects to other areas. I don't see what people see about Idaho. Idaho's, you know, it's, there's not really anything great here. Yeah. Well, trail, did you draw an elk deer or antelope tag in Idaho this year? I did not. I, I bought one. So when the, the December 1st, you know, opener, when you can buy those over the counter licenses for non-residents, I bought an over the counter tag, uh, elk and deer. Um, mm. which I won't, I won't end up using cause I just don't have the, the time, <laughs> but yeah, I hmm. do have one. How did you get that far to the front of the line? I was number 14,000 something. <laughs> I think I was number 11,000. Um, I, I got like my third or fourth choice, I think. So it wasn't like, you know, the, the area that I wanted and I kind of went down the line, but it was an area that I'd hunted back when I was going to Utah state. Um, I, you know, jumped over there to Idaho. So I had a little familiarity with it, but, uh, yeah, I, I still got one. <laughs> hmm. Corey, where were you in the line? I mean, as a resident, you, that must've been a pretty long line, right? Yeah, it was it was incredible. I actually haven't got my tag yet because we can just walk in. <laughs> we can just walk into the Walmart anytime and get them. So, I guess there is a positive to being a resident in Idaho, but mm-hmm. it's starting to become that way in in just about every state. You know, I just updated the University of Elk Hunting and kind of the overview of each of the states, and I had to really update i had to update the list of over-the-counter opportunities and they're just they're dwindling really? i mean they really are especially for a non-resident you've got you know colorado is really the only the only platform that's a true over-the-counter for a non-resident idaho they still call it over-the-counter but it's a lottery no matter how you look at it you have to get in line and get a number and then yeah. you have to wait till your number's called to get it it's no different than a draw uh, you know, you, you mentioned Utah. Utah's got over the counter, but even, you know, Utah residents don't want to promote it. And anybody who's hunted there probably would agree with them. So, you know, you've got Oregon with a little bit of over the counter opportunity that dwindled significantly this year and then a little bit in Washington. But man, outside of that, for non residents, it's pretty slim pickings. Yeah. Trail, how does your over-the-counter over-the-counter hunting process or tag application process work in Utah? Is it true over-the-counter? Um, yeah, I mean, for there's a, there's a cap depending on you know the weapon. So if you want to rifle hunt uh, or muzzleloader hunt, there's a, a cap, and so you still have to you know buy that on the first day that they go on sale. Um, 
it used to be that you could buy those. I mean, I, you know, you could buy them clear up into, you know, just before the hunt started, to be honest, and there would still be some, some permits and opportunities there, but that seems to have dwindled also. It seems like if you're going to buy one, uh, especially, like I said, for that rifle or muzzleloader, you've got to jump on it within that first day, I would say, if they go on sale. But, you know, archery is still unlimited. So if you want a bow hunt, you can buy the, uh, just the archery over the counter and it's, you can buy it online. You can buy it, a you know, a sporting goods store in Utah. So we do still have that option. Um, it's, it's like Corey said, I mean, it's, uh, it could be pretty rough. I mean, we have the, the spike hunt, which is, you know, spike only on limited entry bull, you know, units. And, you know, during the archery hunt, which is becoming, you know, more popular, people can pick up a bow and, and go hunting. And like I said, those are unlimited. Um, you know, it can really crowd out some of those limited entry units, especially for guys that have drawn permits it can be pretty tough, but then success rates are generally pretty low. Um, but you know, if you, if you just want a chance to get out and go, you know, it still exists. Well, you're the one who writes a lot of strategy articles for go hunt. Are you, are you, what's next year's strategy article going to look like to go elk hunting every year? Yeah, I say, uh, start with, you know, Idaho, we, we talked about it not being a true, you know, over the counter option anymore. And, and that's true. It, it used to be a backup option, but it's not necessarily the case anymore. You do have to get in line, if you will. And those go on, on sale December 1st. So right out of the, you know, right out of the gate every year in December, a lot of people, it seems like aren't really, you know, necessarily thinking about the following fall in December. <laughs> They've still got the holidays coming. So maybe it's not really on the radar, but my my process is to to try to pick up that over the counter Idaho tag December first and kind of use that as um, you know a, a backup if you will. So I've got that permit in pocket if nothing else comes through. And then um, you know Colorado, you mentioned it. It really is the the only you know besides maybe some opportunities in Oregon, but it really is the best at this point. You know, true over the counter option. So. You know, if I didn't get Idaho December first, and you know, I didn't draw any permit, it would be Colorado would be my my next option for OTC. And then you know Utah, you know I, I grew up cutting, you know, I cut my teeth in elk hunting on spike hunts, and you know there's a lot of arguments for and against spike hunting. I mean, I hear a lot of people say that you know spike hunting is kind of detrimental to you know our herds, and they use that as a a means to control the overall you know bull to cow ratios while still giving you know people that draw those limited entry permits an opportunity to hunt big bulls um but you know it, it it still is a an opportunity i grew up hunting that and i've got a lot of fond memories of hunting spike elk on limited entry units and seeing some really nice bulls um you know getting a chance to watch him and then you know harvesting spikes so that still is an option would you uh if you had to choose between doing your spike hunt in utah or over the counter in colorado which would you do i would do over the counter in colorado <laughs> they're uh Mm. yeah i think it's a, a better hunt i i mean the, the spike hunts i think harvest success for you know a rifle spike tag in utah is about 20 percent um you know and spikes eat real well they're tasty but you know I'd, i would rather go to colorado and have a chance to hunt a branch antler bull and you know I've, i hear a lot of people say that you know over the counter in colorado is really blown out and it's not a good hunt um you know, in saying that, I've hunted second and third season, you know, rifle 
um, you know, deer tags and, you know, every, almost every one of those that I can remember, I, I could have, you know, also picked up an elk tag and, and have seen bulls and could have harvested, you know, decent bulls. Um, you know, I've hunted OTC archery hunts there and, and had good hunts. So I would say at this point, I would rather hunt, uh, OTC in Colorado. Well, Corey, do you, what's your vote? Is he just trying to deflect everybody to go to Colorado? <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I think the track record speaks for itself there. Colorado is still the destination for over the counter and with it, you know, with everywhere else becoming more limited, uh, the writings on the wall, Colorado's not going to be able to handle the, the load that's going to be placed on it. That's been placed on it and it's going to continue to increase. So I think the yeah. the days of over the counter elk hunting are probably dwindling rapidly. Unfortunately, yeah, we uh, we are uh, breeding ourselves out of habitat. If you if that's one way you want to look at it, or at least the amount of people moving to the western states just can't sustain the level of new residents. You know. It, say 10 or 15 percent of them hunt and you increase your population like in my state of montana since i've moved here 30 years ago and i created some of the problem uh our population has increased by over 300 i think almost 300,000. well if 10 percent of those people hunt that's 30,000 more resident elk hunters walking around in the woods that's that's a lot of extra pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you yeah. listen to uh, anything on social media or some of the emails we get, uh, they would blame it on Randy Newberg, Corey Jacobson, and Go Hunt. <laughs> I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> how do you yeah. How do you answer that one? Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I mean, I I hear that and. You know, there's some validity to that. I, I understand what people are saying. It, it, it does seem to be, you know, there's more interest in Western big game hunting. And you look at the statistics and the number of applicants and, and you do see it rising. Um, it, it, in saying that, you know, just because, you know, a unit may switch from, you know, over the counter to a draw system doesn't mean that uh, you're necessarily losing all of your opportunity. I mean, I can think of several units still in Colorado, you know, that switched over to a draw unit as of like the last two years that you could still draw, you know, as a first choice with no points. In a lot of cases, you could draw those as a second choice. Um, you know, there's, there's still easier opportunities to draw. You may have to switch up your application strategy article. You may not be able to bank on having those, you know, sim- you know, simply over the counter, but you know, if you, you play your cards, right, you play your application, right. There, there's still opportunities to draw tags. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. No. And I just, I mean, it's, there's, there's two sides of the coin and I absolutely get it. There is no doubt that, that our platforms and our promotion of you know do-it-yourself public land hunting has has increased you know has, has contributed to that but at the same time we need that increase we need you know more people that are you know there's no doubt they're taking from the from the limited pool um, but without those voices we're going to lose that opportunity. I have no doubt just seeing, you know, the political landscape and everything that's out there. If we don't have more advocates for public land, if we don't have more advocates for uh, hunting in general, 
we're going to lose that opportunity a lot more rapidly. And so my goal has always been, you know, it's not a commercial deal that I'm trying to capitalize or monetize or profit from it. I want more people in our corner and I want to promote this in a way that increases those numbers to support what we like to do. And, you know, Will Primos, when I was talking to him a few years back, said, you know, when you teach somebody to love something, they're going to fight aggressively to protect what they love. And, you know, my platform's always been share my passion and love for elk and elk hunting in the hopes that more people will get on board and help us protect that. And, you know, there's there's definitely going to be some give and some take in that. And one of the things that we're going to have to do is realize, hey, there are more people coming into this. So like Randy always says, what do we need to do to build a a bigger pie? It's not how do we limit people and shoot ourselves in the foot. It's how do we create a bigger team and at the same time maintain opportunity. And that needs to be, I think, what we're looking at here. And it just, it scares me as a resident of Idaho, we'll probably be one of the last states, maybe Wyoming will be ahead of us, but that will lose over-the-counter opportunity for residents. But but like Randy says, there's 49 other states that we're non-residents in, and there's a lot of people that are not residents of a state that has elk hunting opportunities. And, you know, I worry about them. I worry about 20, 30 years from now what it's going to look like. And I think our best bet is not to cut the number of hunters in half and get rid of hunters. It's to find a way to, to increase the pie so that increasing numbers of hunters have opportunities. That's pretty much summarizes my thoughts on it too, Corey. I, I know in Montana, uh, we have a lot of forces at play that contribute to that. Uh, we love to blame non-residents. That's kind of a sport in Montana. You blame non-residents for everything. Uh, and maybe that's how it is in Utah and Idaho also. Uh, but really our, our increases are coming in, uh, the resident numbers. The other challenge we face is we are losing access in Montana. And people say, well, how can that be? You know, the Elk Foundation and Trust for Public Lands, they they open up all this access. Well, where we're losing access is to, uh, in our state, that's two-thirds private, access to lands that hunters used to have access to that was private land. And because of, you know, they had a relationship or they grew up in that area or whatever it might be we have this huge trend in montana of i i call it billionaires it, it can be whoever and i don't deprive anybody the credit for being successful uh, but there is a reality that comes with that that we have a huge displacement of hunters from what was traditionally open private lands uh, we have hunt clubs popping up that are competing for some of our lands that were enrolled in block management which is our public access program and those hunters end up going somewhere so the density of hunters on public land is increasing because of you know that the access issue uh, you know density which i think is what a lot of people are feeling the friction on is the amount of hunters that are out there per you know 100 acres or per thousand acres however you want to measure it and that has a numerator and a denominator uh and the numerator is the number of hunters but the denominator if that's shrinking uh i.e accessible lands 
that can have more impact than whatever increase people might be feeling due to new residents showing up here. So where where are we going to focus? Are we going to focus our effort on the the feeling of, hey, this is mine. I want to close the gate. I don't want anyone else here. Or are we going to focus on more access, uh, more acreage available to hunt, and more species available? And I tend to focus on the the denominator of access and, and herd numbers. And I know some people disagree with that, and that's fine. Yeah, right. Well, I guess that's why we have platforms and why we have debates and discussions about this stuff. So, well, I think the yeah. easier, you know, the easier route is to shut the gate. You know, that that's definitely easiest. But I think the negative that comes with that, the potential downside of we're such a minority in this country. You know, hunters and Western hunters and public land hunters. We're it. We're a tiny little fraction of the population and tiny little fractions of population lose you know when it comes to a vote and we're just seeing everything going that way through political routes and i mean the writing's on the wall that if we don't have a a stronger voice and a stronger representation we can shut the gate and we can enjoy maybe another five or ten years of what we have but it will disappear completely if we do that and, you know, that's, that's not conspiracy theory. That's just the writings on the wall and we're seeing it already in losing access in, you know, wolves in Colorado in losing baiting and hunting with hounds and all these things. It's just, it's a foothold that's going to continue to slide if we don't stand up for it. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's painful. It's painful to go through this growth and to have more hunters come in, but when we go through that growth and we realize, hey, we can be a part of the solution rather than just sit here and complain and say non-resident hunters are the problem or the fishing game department is the problem, find the solution. You know, that's, that's I think, the message in all of this is there is a solution. We've just got to all work together to, to make it better for all of us. And we can be selfish and we can only look, look for ourselves for the next five or ten years and it'll work out. But... Beyond that, it's uh, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Trail, you were, were you living in Utah when you guys implemented a lot of these limited entry seasons for? Well, I know your general deer tag, even though it's called general, it, it's still a draw. And then you guys really uh, changed the elk hunting seasons in a big way. Were you there when when all of that was being proposed and and kicked around? And I mean. If I understand correctly, it was a function of number of new people showing up or growth in population relative to the amount of resource available. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I've lived here my whole life. So I was I was born and raised here, and I remember it's it's been interesting. So, like my dad, he moved out here to start hunting. Um, you know, he he loved the Intermountain West and ended up in Utah because he he wanted to pursue Western big game hunting. And I remember. Um, you know, him hunting when I was a kid, uh, you know, he would take, you know, 10 days every year and he would, you know, go elk hunting. And at that point, um, you know, he could just get a permit and go, but I remember him coming home and, and like, if he saw an elk, it was, uh, it was amazing. You know, I remember, uh, I remember my brother, you know, killed a bull. I was probably, 
you know, 10 or so. Um, and, and he was in high school, but I remember he killed a, a five by five and, you know, it was a, a huge deal. You know, I remember there just weren't that many elk. You just didn't see that many elk. And then it, it's kind of like you're saying, we, we, we grew the population, you know, we, they kind of put emphasis and management strategies in place to kind of grow those herds. And, uh, yeah, I've kind of seen this progression of, you know, the number of elk in the state increasing, um, you know, in my lifetime and then kind of going to that limited entry process and, and kind of trying to manage, you know, give people the opportunity to hunt, you know, big mature bulls and then still also try to provide some opportunity for people. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to be able to just buy a, I think I was 16, was 16 or 17 was the last year I could just buy an over-the-counter deer tag in Utah. And then, uh, you know, I've seen that go to a draw and you used to be able to draw the general season deer tag for a region. And then they went to unit by unit. And, you know, at this point, I, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to get a general season deer tag. You're probably two or three years, you know, in, in, in points trying to, to draw a general season deer tag. So I've, I've kind of seen the progression of both. Um, it, it's been interesting, um, you know, going, kind of going back to, to what you guys are talking about as far as, you know, the number of new hunters. Um, you know, I, I have a couple thoughts. One of them is I, I think new hunters are a great thing. I think the more new hunters, the better. Yeah. You, we've got to have hunters to, to kind of carry on the tradition. You know, the way the, way the world's kind of headed, we, we've got to have representation. We have to have people to pass this tradition on to. Um, and the other thing is it, it might just be like me getting older, <laughs> but, um, I, I, I know what, I know what hunting has been and meant to me in my lifetime. I know the, uh, those experiences, like those pivotal moments that I've experienced in the woods and how much that means to me. I mean, when you, you look back on your life, you know, those moments that they meant so much to me and I value them so highly. Um, you know, it would really be selfish of me to not also want more people to also have those types of experiences, which for me have been, you know, impactful. They've been major pivotal points in my life. So I, I don't know if it's maybe I'm maturing, I'm just getting old, but like, I, I would like to have, you know, more people to also have that opportunity to have those types of experiences. So, you know, more hunters, sure, does it mean less tags for me? Probably. But at the same time, you know, I, I want to see this heritage passed on. I want to see my kids, you know, still have an opportunity to hunt. Um, you know, I want more people to have those types of experiences. Uh, you're going to get a, a second to that motion for me. Because uh, I'm older than both of you. And uh, <laughs> I, I I will say that I think age does have something to do with that trail. I, you know, I, I think also having kids has something to do with that. Kind of the pivot point in my life was when my son was born. For me, it was all of a sudden these things, advocacy, public lands, access, conservation. It was all about what's going to be there for him. It was no longer about me. Yeah, I'd have my my chances and, and my opportunities, but that's really what where i saw my my view of of this going from what's right down in front of my feet to what's up on the horizon and what's even over the horizon and uh i i've like you i've been blessed man i have had the opportunity to live in a 
place and my whole life even before i moved to montana was all about hunting and fishing and you know i've, I've come to this place now for over 30 years and it's it's just been a remarkable opportunity and i don't want to see it go away i don't want to see it become just the exclusive opportunity of someone who's got a huge checkbook because i can tell you when i moved here if i would have told my wife hey darling you know i need a thousand bucks or i, I need 150 bucks to go elk hunting this year uh in 1991 she probably would have said uh, a divorce might be cheaper pal <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, i i get the feeling that people have right we've all pulled up to a trailhead and there's two more vehicles than there were last year and we kind of grumble a little bit but you know what that to me uh, that's just saying hey what are we doing to make sure there's more places for people to go because if we don't work on access next year instead of two new trucks there's going to be five new trucks and uh so i know that's going to as long as the economy is robust and we see these booms and and you know these ebbs and flows and in interest in non-resident hunting we're going to have this this feeling but i've lived through enough of these cycles to know that the absolute core of it is the habitat and the access because habitat never gets reclaimed from subdivisions back to habitat once it's gone it's gone and very seldom do properties get locked up or gates closed or you know access to the public land back behind the, the property very seldom does that get reopened once it gets closed so there's an awful lot of important work that we got to do and i'm not going to let the detraction keep my or take my eye off off those important things that are critical to elk hunters and and elk hunting so and yeah, i just think if if people saw what really went on behind the scenes what goes on behind the scenes day to day politically in the hunting landscape they would probably uh, have a different perspective i guess of how we're walking a fine line and how easy it could be to lose what we have politically and mm -hmm. you know it, it just you and I see it. How many, how many years ago do we have to go back when there was no such thing as an advocate for hunting in politics? You know, we were 100% yeah. defensive. It was all on the defense. When somebody brought something, we had to rally the troops and get people to go and, and put enough voice to stop something rather than being proactive and going and, and implementing things to protect what we have. And that's a that's a direct result of bringing more people to hunting. You couldn't do that. I mean, there's, it's financially, there's, there's, uh, it's just impossible to do. So having more voices contributes to being proactive. Having more voices contributes to having more soldiers on the ground that are hopefully working to not only protect, but to establish the things we've talked about, the access, the, you know, the opportunities, and hopefully more, more animals, more, more blueberries in the pie. Yeah. Hey, Trill, could I switch subjects? Yeah. Yeah. Feel, I've got feel a question free. for you. I mm -hmm. ran into you at a trailhead here in Montana last year. You were one of those vehicles I was cussing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get an elk? 
<laughs> uh, we, we did not. Um, we, we talked to you and we actually had spent a few days kind of in that area where we ran into you and hadn't seen much, um, hadn't seen a, a ton of sign. And we had another area that we just wanted to check out. Um, you know, part of that hunt, I, I think for me was just getting to see, you know, new country and, and getting to kind of explore and, and do some hunting in some new areas. So we moved areas and we saw a lot of elk. Um, saw tons of cows and calves we saw a few bulls um you know just didn't put ourselves into a position to to get one but had a had a fun hunt nonetheless and then you know montana we had that big game combo so i also had the 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 deer tag and uh you know we relocated a few hours to the east and had a great hunt yeah i killed a an old buck big three point um probably one of the oldest bucks i've ever killed i mean he, he didn't have a lot for headgear but just a giant body and just almost no teeth so that was a, a cool hunt yeah the, the reason i ask you that is two years prior Corey had the montana tag and he said you got any ideas of where i should go i'm like yeah i sent him to the same place and he no, saw the same yeah. number of elk you did. <laughs> trail, trail, next time Randy gives you advice on where to go elk hunting, call me. Because there's a good chance he's already sent me there, and I can save you the, the effort. Yeah. Here's what, well, we, here's what we figured. So we, we saw goats, right? So we got up in yeah. there and we saw some mountain goats. We saw saw Big Billy the first day, and then the second day we went into another area and saw some goats, and then uh, you know hiked out. We ran into Randy, and I said, "Hey, Randy, we you know not seen many out, but we've seen you know seen some nice billies." And he's like, "Well, I got a goat tag." <laughs> <laughs> Randy is letting us do scouting for him. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I think Man. Corey saw yeah. some mountain goats in there too when he had that. We when he was in absolutely there, did, and then coincidentally, you started putting in for that unit right about then, and so we scouted it for you, got you to put in for the unit, and then trail went in there while you had the tag to get you on the ground intel. I see, I see the method here. I can't fault you. That's a it's a brilliant method. I just wish I wasn't on the receiving end of the the stick. Yeah, well, you know, when you ask somebody questions, you got you got to be a little more precise because I think, Corey, you asked me, have, well, have you killed any elk in here? I said, yeah, I've killed five bulls in there. But you didn't ask how long ago that was. I haven't killed a bull in there since 2003. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew I knew something was up when Randy didn't he was supposed to be hunting with us and he didn't show up at camp and after three days he finally said well we're actually over on the other side of the state hunting you can come join us if you want we're seeing a ton of elk and so we did we we picked up and went over to where he was and we were covered in elk so oh uh, well I really folks I that that was not I was trying to be helpful in all this they said they wanted to see some new country where there wouldn't be a lot of other hunters did I you guys give see you lots yeah, of hunters in there no. we uh we didn't see any other uh, any other real hunters we we saw one other pickup truck um I I will say that when we got up in there you know I was telling Chris Neville that I was with at the time I said you know I I don't know if this would be my, my first choice because it's steep. I mean, that is some steep country, but I thought, you know, if, if there are some elk in here, 
uh, and there is a bull. There's, there's probably a pretty good one up in here. And we did see some elk. We saw some cows and calves, but uh, I, I did think that if there was some bulls, that there was a chance for something pretty pretty nice. So I, I can't fault you too much. And I was more than happy to turn any information over to you that we, we had for goat. So I was glad you got a good one. Yeah. Well, now the audience is like, oh, if I ask Newberg a question and he answers it with some other questions, he's probably pumping me. <laughs> Maybe the requests that we get for unit specific information will go down drastically now that they know the truth that if we were to answer it, that's what would really happen. Well, that's part of the motivation there. (laughs) (laughs) I I just thought maybe I would be a step higher on the ladder than somebody that you don't know, but I guess uh, hunting information is sacred. I treat all my my friends the same. You know, you you guys can compare notes and say, man, he's equal opportunity. That's true. you know, I'm going back in there this fall. It's already on the on the schedule that I'm going back in there. I don't have a goat tag, but uh, I'm just going back in there for nostalgia purposes. Yeah. Mm. There, there's one rock that's really a, a good rock to sleep on. It faces south, and it's got this perfect uh, pitch to it. You'll be asleep in like oh, 12 minutes when the sun hits <laughs> you. So, I, I, I fell asleep multiple times. I fell asleep multiple times when we were in there. It was from a lack of oxygen. <laughs> Wake up with Donnie so, and John shaking me, saying, "Corey, you okay? Your face turned blue, and you fell asleep there." Oh, these guys are making this up. It's not that bad, folks. But uh, so, I, it, it gets me to the point of. Trail, you you work at Go Hunt. I can't imagine how many questions you get. Brady probably gets. All of you get about people who drew a tag and then they got a ton of questions. Do you guys end up fielding a ton of questions related to that stuff? Where should I go? Hey, I've never been to this unit. Or I mean, do you guys become kind of like quasi biologists after tags are <laughs> issued? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We get a ton. I know, you know, through via email and then, uh, you know, just also through social media and those kinds of things, we get tons and tons of questions. And, um, you know, I, I, I try to help as much as I possibly can. I mean, it, it depends a little bit on the, the tag they have. I mean, you know, I've, I've got a Utah elk tag this year and I was talking earlier to Corey and, you know, there's a, a pretty good likelihood that I won't be able to have another elk tag in Utah till I'm almost, you know, 60. So, um, if someone draws a Utah elk tag and I've got uh, some Intel, I'm more than happy to help them out. And, you know, I'll get real specific, you know, I'll, I'll tell them the exact areas where I would look and, you know, glassing points and all kinds of information. Um, if it's, you know, more of a general type of area, OTC stuff, um, you know, I, I kind of try to help them and, put them in the right area based on just kind of what I think, you know, elk need or deer need, you know, I would look here based on, you know, the type of hunt that you've got, you know, it's got the type of vegetation, it's got the slope and the aspect that uh, I would kind of focus on during your tag. But we, we do get a ton of questions, tons and tons. Yeah. 
Well, you could play the dirty Newberg trick and send everybody to the same trailhead where there aren't any out. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that what biologists are trained to do? Send everybody to the same trailhead. Yeah. I I will say that, um, you know, people have been incredibly helpful and, and very giving also, you know, I, I drew this elk tag in Utah. I've drawn some tags in New Mexico. Uh, and I, I've talked a little bit about about the tags that I've drawn on you know other podcasts or you know via our content. I've been really surprised at the amount of people that have you know reached out and said, "Hey, you know, let me know if you want some ideas." Um, and so it's been super cool to see. I, I I tell my kids all the time, you know, I kind of believe in karma. You know, you you, you get back what you put out, and so I try to to help people as much as I can in hopes that you know when I draw a tag, it'll come back around. Well. I I try to do the same thing, but I'm I would say I'm pretty generic with most yeah. uh, most pieces of information. Uh, Corey, he'll give you waypoints right down to the stump to sit on. Uh, you know, like like trail said. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to see how many emails you get. I was Corey, just going to say, let me that. give you my email address here. It's Randy at. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think as we we hear things about you know people crowding and competition for non-resident tags the sharing of information and being a helpful person and using your example trail of karma. I think there's pressure against doing that, which again, I don't, I don't let that change my ideas of wanting to help people either. I mean, I'm not going to give you exact GPS coordinates, but I'm, I'm like you, I'll give people some general ideas or starting points, but you still got to go out there learn it, earn it and uh, work at it. And that's the thing. I I don't know how many times that I've given people information, like my the best information I, I've got for an area, and then, you know, followed up with them, and, and maybe they haven't had the type of hunt that I would have thought they had based on the information they had. And there's so much, um, you know, subjectivity in the way people hunt you know the when they hunt how hard they hunt um you know the level of effort i mean there's a lot of times i think you can give people you know the the world and they may not be able to capitalize on it the way that you do or i do because you know i may hunt it differently um but i i think it's interesting on you know, I, Brady gets mad at me. Brady always makes fun of me because he always thinks I talk too much and tell people too much information. I mean, he doesn't tell anybody anything. I mean, he, <laughs> he's just he's a, a just a clamshell. I mean, he he won't tell anybody. He hates the, even the thought of telling people what state he's hunting in. So he he really clams up. He's the um, probably the opposite end of the spectrum from me. From me, but um, yeah, I, th- I think I've grown less. Uh, kind of less protective i guess of of my my spots or my areas because i just think there's so much variability above and beyond just the spot yeah how do you approach that Corey? yeah too many people put too much emphasis on a spot and you know my when i have a spot in mind i usually go down the list 
get to number six or number seven before I actually find what I'm looking for. So spots, you know, and, and we've talked before, Randy, that's, that's really what you and I do is give people the information, the resources, the tools they need to find their own spots. And I think that's so much more valuable than just giving somebody a spot because there's just so much variability there that spots just, you know, they, they usually don't work out like we hope they will. So I, I think it's far more important. And, you know, again, it comes down to, would it be easier for me to send somebody a waypoint and say, go here, you know, there's guaranteed to be elk here. I shot an elk here last year. I've been scouting and seen elk there. Yeah, it'd be easy, but that's a one-time hit and, hit and gone. You know, that spot isn't like it's magic or, or anything. Areas, I think, are are sacred and important. But uh, as far as a specific spot, there's just too much there. And I think there's far much, uh, far more reward that goes into finding your own spot. And part of that is finding a spot that's away from where everybody else is looking. Yeah, I... I I, I can give you kind of an interesting, you know, as you were talking, I can give you a, a, at least interesting to me an example. I my my biggest buck I ever killed was um, a muzzleloader buck here in Utah, and I shot that buck. Um, and and since then, I've had a number of people, you know, come up and say, "Hey, I know exactly, you know, where you killed that buck." Or I've had a bunch of people tell me, you know, you know, ask me where where I killed that buck, and. You know, I, I could tell them, you know, I, I killed that buck or the guy that comes up to, to tell me, hey, I know where you killed it. I could confirm it and say, yeah, that's where I killed it. But if I gave you the backstory of that, I mean, you would know that there were, you know, I hunted him for 17 days and there were five and six day windows <laughs> where I maybe saw two deer total, you know, and it's like I can give you everything, but maybe. Yeah, I mean that deer's dead, you know, and and if if you're not willing to to be in there and grind that out, you know, it wouldn't matter if I told you where it was at anyway. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I think spots are are, uh, are an interesting topic. I think you know when you're talking about elk hunting, you know, there's probably some some validity there to you know asking people spots, and but you still got to figure it out on your own. I I was just thinking about Corey talking about you know, this spot or that spot. And if Corey gave somebody a spot who is not an aggressive elk hunter, they might go into that exact same spot and not see or hear an elk where somebody who hunts aggressively like Corey, he might encounter many elk or the flip might be otherwise where there might be some places that are just better suited for a more passive approach and somebody with a different hunting style might go in there and sneak around and see an elk or hear elk and Corey might go in there and he's like i ain't hearing or seeing anything just because of our different hunting styles i Mm -hmm. i always tell people pick the places that fit your hunting style as much as the worrying about is it the perfect place there's lots of perfect places for your hunting style your job is to find where those places are so i everybody wants a shortcut myself included (laughs) we uh we we had remy in the office last week when i was down there in vegas and you know we were talking with him and something that he said it was kind of resonated with me was, um, you know, I think everybody needs to, to hunt to their, 
their styles, you know, hunt to, to your strengths. And, uh, you know, some people are, you know, Corey's a great caller. I'm a terrible caller, right? I, I just, I, I don't put a ton of effort into it. And, you know, growing up in Utah where our, our elk hunt, uh, is early, you know, you've got the archery hunt in August and very early September. I mean, calling elk for me growing up, you know, even on those spike hunts wasn't really a part of our, our repertoire. We did a lot of spot and stock and, you know, sitting water and wallows and that kind of thing. Um, so I just didn't really ever develop those, those skills, but, you know, I am super patient, you know, I can sit water holes, I can, you know, get out ahead of a herd and, you know, spot and stock, I can do those types of things. So I think, you know, I, I would say play to, you know, think about what you're good at and, and play to your strengths and, and hunt those areas that are more applicable to your style of hunting. And then, you know, talking to, to Remy, I mean, nothing's more fun than being successful, right? <laughs> so if you're, if you call in an elk and you shoot it and that's how you're successful, then that's awesome, you know, but if you can, you know, spot and stalk and kill an elk, you know, same success, you know, you, nothing better than that. So p- play to your strengths and, and hunt areas that, uh, you know, kind of yield themselves to, to your strengths. Corey? Couldn't agree more. You there? <laughs> okay. You're, you're being kind of quiet in all this. I'm thinking, all right, is Corey feeling he's going to rat out some of his techniques and some of his No, no. Ideas I think, or? you know, and I, gosh, when we talk about spots and elk hunting areas, especially public land, over-the-counter type stuff, they, they are sacred. And so, I mean, I get the people that are like, completely hush hush and i think i'm the same way you know i i don't even mention units or zones or even areas when people are asking about that you get into draw hunts though and and i'm a little bit uh, looser with that information but you know it's it's again it's a fine line and we've talked in the past about taking a hunting partner or somebody into an area and then they go back in there and it just doesn't take much to to overrun an area so i am sensitive to to both sides of of that as we start talking about sharing of information um, but again like trail said it comes down to the areas that i hunt are conducive to the style of hunting I do. And, you know, if somebody's not a caller, they're not going to have a very fun time in some of these areas. Even if they are a caller, they're not going to have a lot of fun. But um, it's just tough hunting and it's steep and rugged. And then you go into, you know, somebody at spot and stock, there's no value for me to even share with them where I hunt because we don't even half the time carry binoculars just because you can't see more than 100 yards in front of you at any point during the day so it's just extra weight to carry and so yeah i mean there's i i agree 100 percent with that well if you can't call like i can't and you're half blind so you can't see that well you really are dependent upon everybody else yeah that's why i have such good hunters as camera guys they uh they're like hey randy what do you say we go over here Uh, (laughs) the reason i'm I'm giving my camera guys all these great plugs is i feel like i've been they've been the brunt of too much of my humor and i'm wondering if people think i'm serious when i'm like blaming them for everything and they break equipment i'm really (laughs) blessed to have some great camera guys Uh, (laughs) so there you heard it folks i am and uh so but uh can i switch gears (laughs) 
<laughs> of course I want, you can. I, 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 want to, I want to talk to Trail about tech. How much e-scouting do you do, Trail? Uh, I do I, I do a lot, I would say. It's, it's probably, I mean, when I say a lot, it, it's probably not in comparison a lot to, you know, maybe a guy like yourself or Brady or, or some of the other guys that really put a lot of time and effort into e-scouting. I would say I spend you know, 15 to 20 minutes a day, most days, um, you know, looking at roads and trails and, you know, using, you know, things like our land analysis tool to kind of look at slope and aspect and, you know, making polygons and, and dropping waypoints uh, for glassing points and things that look interesting, you know, that look interesting. So I spend a fair amount of time, but I, I'm not the world's best e-scouter by any means. And I, I would say that's not necessarily my strength. Um, I generally have kind of a plan in place. And then uh, I would say I'm much better at kind of figuring it out once I get out there. I'd spend a ton of time me scouting because I'm probably on the other end of the spectrum of figuring out when I get out there. I just, I gotta have, this is the accountant. I gotta have like a checklist. Okay. Morning one, this is where I'm going to be. Morning <laughs> two, this is where I'm going to be. Afternoon one, this is where I'm going to be. And then through a process of elimination, I, every day I get a little closer to where they might be because for every day that I didn't see one, well, now I can cross that area off. Uh, and I know some people think I'm kind of being facetious when I say it that way, but really I'm not. I am. I have a method of doing it that way and following my e-scouting plan. And I feel every day a little more confident, a little more confident that, all right, I've crossed off, you know, three afternoon spots and four morning spots. Only got three spots left. I'm, 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 I know one of these three spots is going to be it. And so I wake up, I'm, I'm like, let's go. Today's the day. Uh, maybe that's just me trying to trick myself into thinking that, but, uh, <laughs> For me, it's it it is that methodical, and I'm sure some people think, "Well, that guy's really bored, man. He, he's got nothing else to do with his time." But uh, I do spend a ton of time <laughs> scouting for for every hour. Yeah, I I think uh, you know guys in the office will make fun of me. I've heard Brady make fun of me. He'll he'll take pokes at me and say things like, "Well, yeah, you go hunt the trail. He might have a couple of waypoints dropped on a map." And in some cases, he's not wrong. Maybe I do have just a, you know, mark, maybe a couple glassing points. But I, yeah, I, I think I, and I don't know why. I just, uh, it's just, I'm not, I'm not methodical in the sense that, like, you know, I've got, you know, hard, fast plans for, you know, day one, day two, day three, or, you know, morning and evening. I'd, I'd probably be more effective if I did. I, I think I'm much more, um, you know, I get out there on the landscape and, and kind of start to observe and see what's, what's going on, what the habitat really, you know, really looks like. I, I guess maybe I'm not that good at looking at maps and, um, you know, taking that into the field and feeling like I have a perfect, you know, or a really good idea of what that landscape looks like. But once I get out there, I'm, I'm much more confident that I can figure it out. And so I do spend a ton of time, like when I'm out in the field, you know, looking at my, my phone and my app on my phone and examining landscapes in and around where I'm at and, you know, in relation to where I'm at and what I can see. And then dropping waypoints, you know, dropping, you know, navigation, um, 
you know, access points. And I, I would say I probably do more of that when I'm out in the field than I actually do even before I leave. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't know that I'm that adaptable and dynamic. <laughs> and then you could be like Corey, where you're just like, well, these 30 square miles, I can hike that in a day and call. And if there's an out there, I'll find him. <laughs> Cheryl, <laughs> if you if Corey invites you to go on, on a on an elk hunt, uh, just make sure you get your track shoes with. That that's the best advice I can. Yeah, give. you know we do uh, part of the strategy, and like Trail said, you know you what, can plan. What do you do, Corey? What do I do to find elk? I I e scout and I find areas. <laughs> No, I mean, what do you do as far as e-scouting? Do you, do you put a lot of emphasis into e-scouting? Do you spend a lot of time? Um, do you feel like that your, your hunt plan is based around, you know, your e-scouting? Or do you feel like it's kind of a 50-50 deal? Or do you, do you kind of heavily skew it one way or the other? I, I do spend a lot of time e-scouting. Uh, I like to, you know, in, in the benefit i think of e-scouting not necessarily just to find spots to look at but to become more familiar with the area especially an area i've not been to you know colorado for instance going on on that hunt this year i've never stepped foot in that unit and so i've been doing a ton of scouting i'm going to continue to do a bunch more so i just feel like when i get to an intersection i know where that road goes i know which which you know, cut off I need to take to get back into the area I want to get to. And, you know, just really learn that area uh, through through e-scouting. In addition, you can find, you know, those spots that stand out that's like, oh, look at that drainage back in there. That looks really good. It's hard to access. There's some good north-facing stuff. So I definitely do a lot of e-scouting. But I also know that I'm going to have to cover a lot of ground and, and really the best scouting that I can do is the first day I'm there during hunting season with my bow and my bugle tube in hand, I'm looking for a bugle. And that's really how I pinpoint the area. Uh, I find a, a bull that's responding and then I go hunt him. So kind of a, a mix of the two, really. I, I do see a lot of value in e-scouting, uh, but I also don't put a lot of value in my e-scouting leading me right to an elk that's standing there that I want to shoot. You know, it, it gets me into the general area. And then from there, it's boots on the ground during season looking for an elk to hunt that moment. Do you think that you think the difference in approach is the type of seasons like Corey, you you hunt a lot of archery seasons, which would be pre rut, peak rut. And for me, when I'm e scouting for those, not that I'm you know, anything of that that kind of archery hunter, but I'm looking for more general areas that I can nav you know, get there and do a lot of hiking and moving and calling. Whereas, you know, most of my elk hunts I end up in a late season maybe a post rut and those are mostly glassing hunts and less calling and so i look at my own hunts or my own e-scouting plans and when i'm doing it for archery season i'm not i'm more of a generalist when i'm doing it for rifle seasons i'm really specific and uh i end up sitting on my butt on a rock glassing for hours and hours um so I wonder if, if it's less about hunting style as it is as much about the type of seasons and just each season, uh, you know, there's a different type of or a different approach to each season that is going to make it more effective. I would definitely agree with that. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I think yeah, you get into those later season hunts 
uh, where your primary method is finding your glassing points, you know, finding the areas where the elk are likely to be in. And at that point, you know, access, finding your, you know, put the best way up to your glassing point. It's super important. And finding those glassing points that can offer you, um, you know, glassing into those remote little pockets that, you know, bulls are likely to be in during, you know, a late season hunt becomes super important. But I think you're you're right. I, I do less of it, I guess I would say, for like an early season archery elk hunt. And I, I think you're right. I'm looking for the same types of things. I'm looking at general areas versus like a glassing point, a access route. Um, and then those late season hunts, I agree. It, it becomes that much more important. Well, maybe I'm not out. completely out to lunch then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it did show up 10 minutes late. So, you know, anything I say today, everybody should take with a grain of salt. But uh, so, Trail, you guys have the new mapping. Uh, well, it's not new maps, but it's a new uh, level of service called Explorer. And I've been using the heck out of it uh of all your maps because the new terrain analysis tool when you're doing something as precise as these late season or post rut e-scouting plans for me that terrain analysis tool makes it so easy for me to accomplish my goal and that goal is eliminate where they aren't and focus where they are uh, Corey and i've talked about it in the past uh what's been the response to people who've been using your terrain analysis tool? Yeah, it's been really good. Um, you know, we're still trying to, to get the word out to let people kind of fully understand what is uh, available to them with that tool. Um, you know, I'm, I've got mine open right now here on my, my desktop, just opposite from me here. And I've got all the, you know, north, northwest, northeast facing slopes highlighted via that terrain analysis tool. And, I was spending some time just before we jumped on, just looking at like individual, you know, pockets and, and, you know, potential bedding areas and using also the elevation tool to kind of, you know, fine tune my search. Um, don't tell, don't tell Porter that I was scouting and I was supposed to be working, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it happens from time to time. <laughs> that, that's work trail. Come on. I, I, if anything, yeah. that's like product research and development. I, I walked, I walked right into that one, didn't I? Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Um, yeah, the response has been good, but like, like I said, I, we're trying to get the word out more of, of what is capable with that tool. I mean, it, it really is a phenomenal tool. Uh, just like you said, to kind of, you know, help you fine tune areas. I mean, it, it's kind of a cheat sheet. It's, I look at it a little bit like, you know, when we rolled out filtering 2.0, um, it, you know, that filtering 2.0 tool in uh, Insider essentially allowed you to do a ton of research just in a matter of seconds. You could set these parameters based on what you were looking for and, and it would real, you know, yield these results on your screen. And I mean, it was so quick. I mean, in, you know, just a few seconds, you could do a massive amount of, of research. And I kind of look at this as the same way, this analysis tool. I mean, in five or 10 seconds you can you know play with the parameters within that tool and you can really start to see the areas that are the most applicable to you and your season and your hunt so um 
the response has been good, but like I said, we need to do, you know, on our part, everybody's part to kind of get the word out of what this thing is capable of because it really is an awesome tool. I agree. I mean, yep. I use it. I, I can't tell you how much I use it. It's, <laughs> in fact, I just did two videos about how I use it for different types of e-scouting plans. And uh, the editor who's working on it is like, are you sure, sure you want to tell everybody this? <laughs> well, I think they already know. So. I guess I'm going to tell them. Yeah. No, and it is so valuable. And we've talked before, you know, in in the old days when just 3D mapping was was first available, that was, you know, you got so excited. It's like, man, you can just fly over the area and see what it really looks like. And, you know, you can look at that. And then you go to your GPS or your map or whatever it was, and you put the little, you know, you mark a little spot there. And then you transfer it to your GPS and you go out and hike and it's like now with, with uh, you know, an Explorer membership gives you access to all of that. So you're able to literally sit down at 3D mapping, find the spots, drop a waypoint, walk outside, turn on your phone, and it's right there in the app and you can walk right to that. You know, and there's so many more powerful features in there, but just that simplicity of everything in one place to be able to e-scout, scout, navigate, doing all that, you know, and then you know, the, the features like you guys are talking about, just to be able to narrow down that. For me, I don't look at elevation bands necessarily for hunting elk in archery season, but there are a lot of things that, you know, stand out. North faces are everything for me. That's that's the first thing I look for when I look at 3D mapping is the north faces. And I'm looking for north faces that provide places for elk to bed where they're going to feel safe and it's going to be cooler. So just being able to turn on that aspect and filter out everything that's not a north face so those north faces all just jump out and bright green at you. I mean, that that in itself is like you said with filtering 2.0 it just takes a guesswork out it takes a lot of the leg work out and it just really helps you see what you're looking for hmm. yeah do you guys use 3d a lot i'm this is gonna be a bit of aging myself i grew up so accustomed to surface maps topo maps but I still hardly ever use 3D. And the younger guys in our office are like, well, look at it in 3D. I'm like, well, why would I do that? I, I know what it looks like. Uh, I wonder if that's just like the old dog's new tricks problem. But uh, you guys use 3D a lot? I mean, Corey, you just said you do. Trail, do you? Yeah, I, I use it all the time. Um, I'm like you and that I, you know, I grew up using the old, you know, the old topo maps, the old USG, you know, I've used those a bunch. And so I would say I most often start out kind of looking at it as a 2D, but then as I start to drill down and kind of, you know, want to explore areas more in depth, I'll click on that 3D and then use the tilt pan feature to kind of patrol, you know, the, the area in and around, um, you know, what I'm looking at. I, I use it a lot for glassing because I want to get an idea of what the terrain may look like from that glassing point. It gives me a good understanding of what I'm able to see. So I would say that's probably the, the most applicable um, in a way that I use 3D. But I, I use 3D a ton. Um, er, earlier today, you know, I was also playing around with this, you know, create elevation profile. I don't know if you guys have played with that much. Um but I was, you know, dropping a waypoint next to a road and then kind of up to a glassing point and then using this uh, create elevation profile tool to, to really get an idea of what I'm looking at as far as, you know, where I'm starting out, how much elevation I'm going to gain and lose. 
And it just kind of gives me a, you know, an understanding of like how steep that is, how long it might take me to hike up there. Um, I think that's a cool little tool that I've been using a little bit lately just to kind of help me fine tune, you know, how long it's going to take me to get places. And I, I mean, all these tools, there's, there's all these little individual tools. I mean, there's the, you know, slope and aspect and, um, you know, it just makes like a really nice complete package. There's all these little things that you can do to tinker around with all the layers, you know, it, you can really start to put together a hunt pretty slick, um, you know, with all the options that are available to you. Yeah. So much for the old surface map that was the color. My wife didn't know what color the carpet was on my floor. She thought my carpet was a yellowish brown, which were just BLM surface maps. <laughs> uh, do you, do you, are you guys still collectors like I am? I have all my old surface maps, paper maps with all kinds of crazy marks on them and phone numbers and color coding. And it's like, Randy, what the hell are you going to do with these? Jeez. Because along came Gohan. <laughs> yeah, I, I still have some. I've got them, got them rolled up. I've got notes on the back of them, and they're rolled up with a rubber band around them in my little equipment closet. You a map collector, Corey? You know, I just, uh, funny you ask, about two weeks ago, I threw out about 40 maps. Oh, what? I, I kept the good ones. I don't think I kept we'd the good be friends ones. anymore. But yeah, I uh, I rely on 3D, man. I just, that's, I'll go to 2D every once in a while, sometimes just to see the drainage name a little better or something like that. But I would say 90% of what I do is is in 3D. So being able to have that out in the field would be incredibly helpful. Well, the reason I'm asking these questions is, I think there's as much variability in how people hunt when they're out in the field as there is in how they prepare and research for how they're going to hunt when they get out in the field. I mean, <clears throat> you guys talk about the way you do it. it. For me, I'd feel lost if I couldn't have this real precise, you know, pattern. Uh and you guys are getting all the utility you do out of 3D. I'm going to have to come and watch you guys e-scout a little bit or play with <laughs> your, your computer screens as you do it because it, it just, I don't know, 3D loads a little slower than 2D, and I'm like the old man in a hurry. So I just, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm sure the audience is like, Newberg, get with the program, man. It's 2022, not 1992 but uh it, so. it, it is pretty incredible isn't it the like the amount of technology and you know the, the change and just the amount of information that's available to you now you know <laughs> than what used to be i it's it's incredible i mean the fact that you know, I can mention on a podcast that I've got an elk tag in Utah and then, you know, within five minutes, I've got 10 people reach out and say, hey, what tag do you have? And, you know, I can say, I've got this tag and, you know, they're giving me information and, you know, and the same thing, I can then take that information and flip on my go hunt maps and I can download and look at polygons and I can look at glassing points and, you know, slope and fire history. I mean, it, it's incredible how far it's come. Yeah. 
It, it is. And I think that's everywhere in our society. Technology has made these kind of differences in how efficient we can be and how much utility we get out of our time. But when it's in the hunting space, the critics are like, oh, damn technology. I wish they would have never invented this, even though we all use it. Right. We grumble about how, well, that guy now knows this or, you know, until along came a map like this. I, I used to know that I could sneak around to the backside of that property. No one really knew there was a little corridor BLM land. And it's like, uh, we, we, we grumble about technology when someone else uses it to their advantage, but we embrace it when we can use it to our advantage. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. It's, it, uh, it is funny, huh? You, yeah, you use it to your own advantage, but if somebody else does, you, you're upset about it. But I I think it's pretty incredible. And it, I always go back, I mean, earlier we talked about it, but I always go back to the fact that, you know, with all the information, all the technology, all the tools, you still have to go out into the field and, and make it happen. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, I think... If anything, technology maybe cheats us of that understanding that that is still what you got to do. You know, you can have all the technology and utilize it at your fingertips, but if you aren't willing to give the effort and hunt as hard as I know you guys do and how I, I, I think I hunt pretty hard, there's still a correlation. The greatest correlation to your success is how hard you're going to work at it. Not what little tools and tidbits uh, you you take advantage of. It's still the the, co- the commitment to your own knowledge set and your commitment to giving it every possible effort while you're out there. Yep, I couldn't agree more. That's uh, you know we've talked before, but you look at success rates at ten, fifteen percent, whatever they are for for over the counter public land type hunting. And I really think it boils down to that's the percentage of the population that's willing to work hard. And you see it, you know, in business, in a lot of things, that 10 to 15% is that top part of the population that is willing to roll up their sleeves and do whatever it takes to, to be successful and not afraid to do the hard stuff, go to the hard areas. And, you know, you can give people all the tools, all the resources, brand new weapons, new boots, backpacks, four-wheel drive truck, whatever it is, and 90% of them are still going to fail just because they aren't willing to do the work. And I think for for those who are willing to do the work, these resources uh, are absolutely handy and it'll shorten the learning curve. It will might shorten, you know, the the time that it takes to get to that level. But for the other 90% that just, you know, aren't willing to put in the work, these resources aren't going to do anything for them. I agree. A hey, hey, trail before I uh, switch to one more topic. <clears throat> do you mind if we give a plug for your uh, Explorer membership? Yeah, please do. Yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome. <laughs> do, do you want me to it's, do it or we, do you want to do it? <laughs> we, we, we we uh we don't ever want people to pay full retail, so don't take this personal. But we use promo codes for everything. So <laughs> if people want all fifty states for forty nine bucks, use promo code Elk Talk and you'll get twenty dollars of store credit in the Go Hunt Gear Shop. So I uh I just feel that again, it's worth all forty nine bucks, but if I can give them twenty dollars in your gear shop, I wanna do that. So don't 
don't hold it against me. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we won't. I, we appreciate okay. it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, it, it is great value. I mean, 49 bucks, you get 20 bucks, you know, 20 bucks back to the gear shop. If you use, you know, your code, you get points back on your, your purchases in the gear shop. If you are a member, which is a really cool program. I mean, you're essentially paying, you know, get, getting money back for shopping in the gear shop and being a member. And then, you know, you also get access to, to point tracker, which helps you kind of keep track of your points uh, as you're applying across the West. So, I mean, for, for 49 bucks and 20 bucks back in, in points in the gear shop, I mean, it's, it's a tough deal to pass up. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. Don't pay full retail. Use promo code ELKTALK. <laughs> and if they use promo code ELKTALK for your university course, how much do they save, Corey? Uh, $20. 20 bucks. Yeah. Well, what's it, what's it going to take to get you guys to give them 25 or 30 <laughs> Are you talking about I'm, 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 <laughs> Both of you. I'm, 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 I'm here <laughs> pitching for the audience, man. I, I, I don't really care if you guys gave them $100 to sign up. It, it you know, really doesn't matter to me. So I'm, I'm just putting a little pressure on you guys. You know, it is 4th of July coming up and everything. Maybe you ought to have a holiday sale or something and <laughs> increase to 20 bucks. But all right. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, a, I'm being a tightwad accountant here. But, uh, so, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to ask both of you guys this question because I, I'm all over the map on it, but is there one feature in the go hunt maps or uh, how you do e-scouting, uh, that you use way more than anything else? It sounds like 3d might be the answer to that, but. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and then, you know, Corey can chime in as well. I would say there's probably, you know, two or three tools that I use a lot. Uh, 3d is one of them. I'll, you know, I, I use it all the time. Like I said, I t typically start 2d, but I use 3d a ton and I'm constantly cruising the landscape in 3d. Uh, the other one, you know, we've already talked a little bit about, but I use that terrain analysis tool a lot just to, to look at slope and aspect and, and elevation. And, um, you know, I think Corey said he doesn't maybe use the elevation as much for elk hunting, but I, you know, I, I do initially, you know, I'll pull up the unit that I have and I'll use those elevation bands to kind of get a, an understanding of what the, the elevation is like. I mean, I could think of a, you know, tags I've had in New Mexico where, you know, it kind of topped out at like that 12,000 foot and, you know, went down into, into some low country. And when I'm hunting those, in, you know, those elk in September, you know, my anticipation is that they're going to be up where, you know, feed is a little bit better. There's some, you know, some forbs and some grass and, and uh, it's just going to be kind of that. You know, typically if you top out in your alpines, 12,000 feet, you know, and your timber line is, you know, 11, 11, five, uh, I typically am looking at that, like maybe 10 to 11,000 foot range and, and maybe 9,500, but I will throw that layer on just to, to get a view of the landscape on the areas that I think are most, you know, most likely to have elk during September. So I do that quite a bit. And then, um, you know, I, I use that, that little, you know, ground tool quite a bit just to plan, you know, routes and look at my, my elevation gain, see what it's going to 
going to take me to get into some of these areas. So I would say those are probably the, the three I use. And then I guess I would add one more. I use a fire layer a lot, um, you know, especially for elk hunting, uh, you know, an area that's probably three or four years post burn. Um, you know, if they've got good water, uh, is, is like an ice cream shop for elk. So I use those burn layers quite a bit. <laughs> All right, Corey. Trill gave four. I was asking for one, but he gave <laughs> yeah. four. So I'll, I'll let you, you, if you want to do one, if you want to do one or you want to do five, it doesn't really matter to me, but I'm just curious so that the audience knows that all three of us have a little bit different hunting style. So we probably use these tools slightly differently. Totally. No, and I use, you know, filtering 2.0 is one of my favorites. Um, and it's not just for draw hunts. There's a lot of information in there uh, for over-the-counter hunts as well to find things like bull-to-cow ratios and percentage of public land and just really helpful things. Uh, when I'm first starting, if I say, hey, I want to go hunt Montana this year, I applied, drew the combo, then I'm going to jump in there and start, you know, dialing it down. From there, once I dial down the area, then I'm going to jump into maps. And first thing I do is just a 3D flyover. I mean, I just say, okay, where's the town? Where is roaded access? Where's the main highway? Get a feel for for everything. But I think probably one of the, the tool I use the most is waypoints. I just, I mark everything with waypoints. So I'm putting waypoints for, you know, I'm marking potential wallows and water areas, potential bedding areas, and I color code it based on, you know, one is potential, one is actual verified. Um, so when I get out there, you know, my potentials are all in purple. And then if I verify it, I'll turn them to a different color and that bait that color is based on, you know, if it's a water source, it's blue. If it's a bedding area, it's green. And so I just, you know, I use color coding for, for a lot of it. So when you look at my map, there's waypoints all over it. And from a, from a mile high view on the phone, you know, on the mobile app, it gets a little bit clustered. But as you start dialing in, there's so much information that, that you can have there. And when you start to see those waypoints, especially from an e-scouting perspective of food and water and bedding areas, when you see a bunch of those waypoints clustered together, that becomes my focus area and, and the area that I hike into either to scout or to hunt. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm continually in 3D mode on that. Well, I just learned something there, Cody. Corey, I use color coding, but I don't use it in the way you do. It's I don't have this possible in purple and then, you know, verified in other colors. I just, you know, water's blue, camp is green, you know, camp is actually camp is like orange. Food is green, glassing point is yellow. But I don't have the idea you do of, you know, potential versus verified. Uh, the one tool I do use the most is definitely the elevation bands and the terrain analysis tool and that's just because i mostly hunt migratory elk and i know that you know certain seasons here's the summer range here's the winter range i'm going to focus on bands within the transition range so that's the one i use the most so now i'm going to switch it to gear <laughs> you guys see what other people have in their packs and then you know what you have in your pack what is something that you have in your pack that you don't see many other people have in their pack? Or maybe that's, is that proprietary and you don't want to give that out <laughs> because then everyone else will have it in their pack. Uh, something that I've got in my pack, I would say 
Um, probably the one thing, I don't know. I, I like an active hunting style and I've said it a lot, but I, I like to, you know, kind of live off my back. And, you know, I, I had a guy ask me not too long ago, he said, you know, what if you're only hunting, you know, a couple, two or three miles off the road? Uh, I would say even in, in those cases, there are a lot of the time I'll still have, you know, a sleeping bag and a bivy and a pad in my backpack because I just really? prefer, yeah, I I do. I just like being, you know, out there and I don't like traipsing back and forth between like a home base and, and, uh, you know, kind of spiking out. So I, I live off my back a lot. So I would say if I'm elk hunting uh, with my bow in my hand, there's a 95, 99% chance I've got a sleeping bag, a pad and uh, a bivy sack in my pack as well. Wow. I seldom, I am trying to remember the last time I went elk hunting with that in my pack. Shows I don't venture very far from camp, I guess. That's interesting. I would have never, well, I can't say never, but that's, that's just interesting trail. So you, you are like that wandering hunter who, Hey, this looks like a good place to lay down for the night. I'll just hang out here rather than hike back to a base camp or something. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of a lot of times when I've been at elk hunting where, you know, I've, I've been close in the evening and I've, you know, it just hasn't quite worked out, but you know, got dark on me and I was within close range of a herd and, you know, that herd's kind of still moving, um, a, a little bit before, you know, they, they bed down for the night. And at that point, you know, if you're turned around, you're hiking back to camp to a base camp, you're kind of losing that herd, you know, and you're trying to pick them up again in the morning. Whereas I feel like if I can just lay down, you know, make a quick camp in a, a bivy and a sleeping bag, uh, you know, I can be up and on those elk really early in the morning, you know, I'm, I'm going to be up and ready and listening for bugles, you know, an hour before light and, you know, kind of moving in the direction that I think I, uh, I would last on that herd. And I just, for me personally, I mean, everybody kind of does it different, but for me, I've had more success, uh, in doing that than I have trying to work back and forth between, um, you know, home base if you will. And I, I mean, elk are big, they can cover a ton of country. And I feel like if I can be out there and kind of covering that country and, and kind of moving in with them, I'm, I'm more successful. Hmm. Wow. That's a way different style than I hunt. There you go, folks. Chalk that one up. No charge for that <laughs> advice, but trail kills enough elk that you might want to pay attention to that one. All right. Since I'm the moderator, Corey, now I get to ask you what's in your pack that <laughs> if you want to share i don't know that there's i i certainly i mean if we're planning on staying back in i'll carry a, a tent and a sleeping bag um but man we just especially here in idaho it just seems like when we used to go back in with a sleeping bag we'd get in there and we'd usually find a reason not to stay the same day that we got back in there and we'd end up hiking back out. So that extra weight quickly found a place in the truck to stay. Um, I use, you know, I, I think one of the things that I just wish we could stress enough, especially for newer hunters, is the importance of the wind. Mm -hmm. So those just little wind decators, wind detectors, just a little thing that's always in my pocket or the, the 
belt uh, pouch on my pack. Uh, I've always got one in my pocket, one there, and then one in the lid. So it's I don't ever want to be without a wind detector. So it's you can buy one for four bucks or something. So it's not like it's a expensive deal, but it's a it's a pretty vital part of of my elk hunting gear. Um, gosh, beyond that, I don't know. I I'm. I'm a minimalist. You are. I think uh, water has been a big, yeah, water has been a big thing for me lately the last couple of years. Just, you know, I I started carrying water a few years ago, which was a huge step up. (laughs) Uh, Now I actually use a bladder and and, uh, carry enough water that, you know, I... Well, here's, I, I found a new product too. I actually haven't used it yet, but I'm excited to use it because bladders are a pain. Like just... Getting it, getting it out, and filling it with water each night. Um, there's a new product though that attaches to a like an algae bottle, and it's got the hose on it and everything. And algae bottles are a lot easier to fill and to clean, and don't have to worry about them popping. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to try that out. But water is uh, water's been key for me, and I've taken it a lot more seriously the last four or five yeah. years. Well, about time. When we were in New Mexico in 2016 and you left camp and it's 90 degrees and you got a little 12-ounce water bottle in your pack, I'm like, uh, this guy is a part, he's camel or something. Um, so about time you saw the light. Man, I, I really, I, I don't know how you did it, Corey. <laughs> I mean, we were covering however many miles and it was that hot and you were living off like 12, 16, 20 ounces of water. It, it doesn't seem humanly possible. Yeah, and I used to train myself. Yeah, I used to train myself to not drink water during the day, thinking that's just less weight that I have to carry. I can go shed hunting or hunting and, and not carry any water. And I think it did damage. I mean, I really do think, you know, my cells don't hydrate the way they should. Uh, because of that, I, I feel like I need water, more water now than what I should need. And when I drink it, it just goes straight through me and doesn't seem to be absorbed by my body as well. So, I, you know, if I could go back to the younger me, that would definitely be something to be like, take care of hydration. It's so important for, you know, everything. Just in the field, yeah, I can power through cramps and do some of that. But you get a little older and things catch up to you. So it's uh, I've learned Yeah, see, what's the saying? I might be old, but I'm not stupid. So the older you get, the smarter you get. Uh, (laughs) But Trail, if you're living off your your backpack or out of your backpack like that, what are you doing for water? Are you just bringing a big bladder full or do you have a little mini filtration system? uh, I've used bladders. I've I've kind of steered away from them the last few years because I... I had a hunt a few years ago and you know, I'd filled up my bladder and I had my pack loaded and ready to go. And I got there to the trailhead and the bladder had a, a leak in it and had leaked down through my pack and just completely, you know, soaked my bag and everything in it. So I had to hang all my stuff mm-hmm. up to dry and give it a few hours before, you know, I could actually get going. So I've kind of tried to I've steered clear of bladders a little bit and I've probably gone to just using, you know, hard sided you know, hydration, so like an algae or even, you know, just like the, the big smart water bottles that you buy at a gas station. So I've been using those, but um, living off my back, I, I typically just pack these little aqua mira uh, drops. So it's just two bottles, a part A and a part B. You just get seven drops of each one per liter. And, and that's what I use for water. 
Well, you're in Utah. One time we were hunting in Utah and that's all we had. But unfortunately, the water was very tainted with cattle, whatever <laughs> is left from cattle. Never again will I drink. I will thirst to death before I'll drink water from what we drank it from. Uh, but nobody got sick. Nobody died. So the Aquamira tablet or drops must work. So Yeah. Yeah, I would say if you've got areas like Nevada or Utah and, and you may be, you know, getting your water from, from less desirable sources like a cattle pond, um, you know, a, a filter is a good idea. So, you know, Catadine makes a little Hiker Pro, which is just a, a quick pump filter. And then, you know, in addition to that, some sort of treatment like an Aquamira drops or, you know, Aqua Tabs. Well, the three things that I would have in my pack that most people don't have, one is Benadryl because I'm allergic to elk fur, uh, mm. and uh, that always creates some interesting looks from people when I start popping Benadryl. Uh, zip ties, because I don't know how many things we've fixed or repaired or put back together with zip ties. Uh, and then I got rid of all of my Snicker bars. I used to carry like two or three Snicker bars all, you know, when I left the, the trailhead and now as much as I'm not like a supplement guy or anything, those mountain ops, what are they called? Energy bars or something bars. Protein bars. What, the protein the protein bars? bars. They're better than candy bars. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I, if you would have told me I would become that addicted to them. I, I think it's borderline an addiction. Uh, I eat them even here at the office, <laughs> which gets expensive. But uh, so those are probably the three things that I have in my pack that I don't see in a lot of other packs when we're out there. So have you have you tried the yeah. uh, the frosted? I think it's the cinnamon one. It's of that bar. No, that one's tasty. <laughs> that one's tasty. Oh what? man, they got a new one out. It's it's uh it's not my favorite. Yeah, the the caramel conquer yeah, or whatever is my favorite, but evidently there's a caramel shortage, so they can't get more of those. And I went through my four boxes of those when I got them, and uh, they just came out with the cinnamon mm -hmm. swirl, or is that what it is? Cinnamon frosted swirl or something like that. And it's, it's good. Huh? It is good. It's like a cinnamon roll that's yeah. healthy for you. Huh. Well, I. I've tried every type of bar known to man thinking, well, you know, one of these got to work. And a lot of them, they taste like cardboard or sawdust ground up with a little bit of rabbit turds with maybe some <laughs> chocolate spread over the top of it. Uh, so, and now you guys are all saying, how do you know what rabbit turds taste like, right? Well, you know, that did cross my mind. I thought it was a very descriptive uh, explanation. Well, here's the story behind that. When I'm six years old, four years old, something like that, my mom's brothers were out picking acorns. Well, I don't really know the difference from an acorn that fell off the husk from a rabbit turd. So I'm over there and I'm picking up all these rabbit turds. And they're laughing, telling me, though, oh, yeah, these are just smaller acorns. I ate some of them. Then my mom's like, what's in your pocket? Acorns. Like, these aren't acorns. These are rabbit turds. And then when I told her what happened, she went over there and just beat on her brothers to no end. Boy, she was older than them. She gave them a whooping like you never seen. So, <laughs> but I'm living, 
And we just got a new yeah. we just got a new Randyism. Yeah. You don't know the difference between acorns and rabbit turds. There you go. I didn't at the time. So uh, I guess the point being rabbit turds can't kill you. I don't know that they help you, but they didn't kill me. Uh, so <laughs> that's why whenever I say something tastes like, you know, doesn't taste that good, I use the term rabbit turds. Most people look at me like, how do you know what rabbit turds taste like? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so that has a lot to do with elk hunting, I know, but... Uh, so, what else we got, guys? Just getting ready for the season. Summer, yeah. I'm I'm ready ready for summer to kind of move on and, and you know get get into the elk woods. I know I shoot, I run and shoot every morning, so I, I run some miles out here to my local trail system, and then I'll run up to we have a really nice little archery range and. I know that uh, a couple mornings ago, there was like just the ever so slight twinge of like that fall feeling of air, you know, and I, man, I was Jones and I'm just ready for, ready for elk season. I can't hardly concentrate. <laughs> when does your uh, elk hunt start, Trail? Is it August 20th or something like that? Yeah, it starts August, August 20th and runs through the, the 16th of September and then, uh, I actually drew a New Mexico elk tag this year as well, so it's a, a second season uh, New Mexico archery tag. Jeez. So it picks up the 15th and runs through the 24th of September. So I I don't know much. I don't. I probably won't be much use the month of September. Wow, clean living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding, huh? Well, Corey drew a special archery tag this year. Randy didn't draw a special archery tag this year. I didn't draw a special anything this year. Man, I need to have you guys do my applications for me. Trail, do you guys have an application service? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll do them for you if you want, if cool. you want me to. <laughs> I need some, some uh, side, yeah, side hustle. <laughs> nah, there's some things in life I'll let people do for me, but, you know, I'd let someone do my taxes, but I'd never let them do my applications for me because that's way more important. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get thrown in jail for messing up your taxes, but you could miss a hunt by messing up your application. So I'm. I, I trust people to do other stuff, but not my applications. So. <laughs> would you guys ever let someone do your application I'm for the same. you? Not me. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. Not not a not a. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I've, I've got a couple of buddies that uh, you know they're that are in as deep as I am in kind of the the realm of what it is that we do here, and, and th- those guys I might, <laughs> but. Um, for the most part, I mean, I, it, it's interesting. I was thinking as you were talking, I mean, I, I drew, you know, I drew two elk tags this year and then I picked up that Idaho one, which like I said, I won't use. And I, I also drew a New Mexico Barbary sheep tag and, you know, I picked Jeez. up, yeah, I, I picked up a, you know, I picked up a second season deer tag in Colorado, um, you know, for me and my kid and my kid drew, you know, dedicated hunter deer here in Utah. So, I mean, I've got, you know, piles of tags. I think my wife keeps saying, when when did these tags quit showing up in the mail? You know, she's probably had, <laughs> had, had, her, had her fill. But, um, I mean, that's it, it's interesting. Like, if you, you really go down the rabbit hole and you, you do your research and kind of plan and prep, I mean, there, there really is still a ton of opportunities to go yeah. on. 
you know what we need to do for the next podcast topic, Corey? What's that? How to convince your wife that those tags you get every fourth or fifth year really are once in a lifetime tags. They totally are. (laughs) I mean, I, I, when I first started this multi-state application stuff, I'd tell Kim, oh, this is once in a lifetime. I got to go. I I know we're busy. We got a wedding or, you know, this or that, but I got to go. It's once in a lifetime. Well, the next year. I had another once in a lifetime, and the next year I had another once in a lifetime. I mean, she's a smart woman in spite of her choice of husbands. Uh, pretty soon she's like, how many lifetimes? I mean, cats have nine lives. You're like on life number 15 here with the amount of tags you say are once in a lifetime. So we we need to figure out a better term than once in a lifetime. Uh. Oh, wow. It sounds like you got many lifetimes lined up this year, Trail. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a pretty good year as far as picking up permits goes. Um, it's that once-in-a-lifetime. I think I drew, I actually drew a once-in-a-lifetime tag, you know, the mountain goat tag in Utah. And I, I think that was the only time that I've got actually had the opportunity to use that line, you know, where, <laughs> where I actually could back it up and say, no, this is legitimately once-in-a-lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> The, the others, the others. I think at this point, she knows is is not the case. So what you're saying is, I might be too liberal in my use of the term <laughs> "once in a lifetime." <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> when you when you use it every spring and every fall, it might yeah. might get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I got the one thing I did realize is when you say "once in a lifetime." My wife, anyhow, is like, ooh, this is going to cost him. Mm. So the price of what I seem to end up paying for once in a lifetime seems higher than I say, <laughs> you know, this is a pretty hard tag to draw. So I, I have throttled back on my use of once in a lifetime anymore. So hopefully the audience has some pointers on that because I, I could use some better intel on how I present these rare opportunities where I'm kind of begging well, not begging. I know I'm imposing on the family relationship here, but I just, I got to figure out how to do that with some tact that doesn't <laughs> cost me so much in collateral uh, costs. So. Well, with that, I think I've kind of driven us completely in the ditch, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it isn't a podcast until Randy gets off on some tangent of marital <laughs> advice or eating rabbit turds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better be careful giving marital advice. People are going to say Randy knows about as much about marital advice as he does about acorns. Yeah, I know. I, uh, oh, well. <laughs> you know, the, the other part that comes with age, Corey, is just blunt honesty, where you, you completely admit how stupid you were. You know, when I was this age, this is how dumb I was. <laughs> so, oh, well. Well, what do you say we let him go, folks? Let Trail go back to his hiking and, and archery shooting and e-scouting and Corey go back to his practicing for the World Elk Calling Championships in Man. Park City, Utah. Are you signed up for that, Corey? I am, and I need to I need to up my practicing. My kiddos are sounding really good, but I've been spending maybe too much time helping them and not enough time myself bugling, so I've got to... Mm got to pick that up that's only like three weeks away i know i'm the mc so oh I'm gonna, you are again i'm gonna heckle you oh excellent yeah 
I think you ought to. I think you ought to rent your kids out, Corey. Yeah, Jess. Yeah. Jess won the the women's last year, right? She did. Yeah. Yep. No, I. Uh, I'm just waiting for the day when they'll start calling for me, and especially packing for me. I'm just. I'm putting in my time now for them, but there's a day in the not too dear, not not too distant future that I'm going to be reminding them of. You know, the times that I helped them call and called for them and packed for them. And it's, uh, I've got, I've got some good elk packers lined up. Well, take advantage of it. What do you got for elk packers, Trail? I've got three boys. So I've, I've got, uh, I've got oh. one elk packer that's definitely going to earn his keep this year. <laughs> he's seven, 17 and <laughs> he's about six. Yeah. He's oh, about yeah. six two and about 180 pounds and he hits hits the gym every day so he's definitely going to pack some out for me this year and then i've got uh a 12 year old and then a nine year old but that that oldest boy he's he's coming right into his own of being able to pack some meat for me well now there's no way i could talk you into renting llamas if you got a 17 year old in that kind of shape you don't need llamas Yeah, that's why when somebody says oh, I got to go cut firewood or mow the lawn, and I look around, they got a teenager. I'm like, what do you mean? You got to mm-hmm. do that. That's why you brought. That's their job, or at least it was when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh well, better be careful here. Well, I'll I'll be getting into family dynamics now that I've already talked about marriage advice. My wife told me to quit talking about marriage advice on my podcast. So. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't listen to this one. I'll be be in the doghouse again. Uh, <laughs> well, guys, hope you have a great day. Happy Fourth of July! Yeah, likewise. Yeah, happy Fourth, and a big thank you to uh, all of our servicemen and women who serve to to protect and keep our freedoms intact. Well, I uh, I agree with that, Corey. Um, not just at this holiday, but at all times. Uh, we are grateful. Like I always say, what a country. And I mean that 100%. Uh, we are blessed to live here. So Absolutely. Go enjoy Independence Day. But enjoy it safely and don't burn down the woods like happens in Mon. Do they allow fireworks in Utah and, and Idaho? You know, they they had banned them like the previous two years, but I you know drove by my local grocery store the other day and saw one of those big pop-up camps with all the fireworks. So I guess they're going to allow them to do a few. I, I, my kids think I'm a stick in the mud because I've, I've always said no. I never buy any. <laughs> mm-hmm. Corey, do you guys have them there in Idaho? Are they legal? They are, yeah. Yeah. Um... We just, you know, we watch the, where we live, we've got three different big fireworks shows that go on. So we can kind of sit up at our house and, and kind of look over the valley and take in a couple really good fireworks shows. So we don't ever buy them or, I mean, we might buy some for the little cousins that come over, some little, you know, the little snakes and little tanks, but nothing, mm-hmm. nothing big. We're, we live right in the middle of yeah. the woods. So, man, one errant spark could change where we live really quickly yeah which is my point i've often told my legislators that we need a fireworks tax to pay for the firefighting that we know will be required during fireworks season yeah without fail there is somebody who's not going to behave themselves unfortunately in montana right now it's been a really wet spring so maybe it'll mitigate that but anyhow 
Happy Fourth of July. Be safe and have fun. That work? <laughs> that seemed like a great ending to me. Sounds good to me.